Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Paul Zalman about the choice to love. Paul is a love language linguist, and he is the author of a book called Love is God. So what qualifies Paul to speak about love? His childhood experience was the exact opposite of that. It was a beginning of growing up with a family of abuse. Physical touch became his preferred love style only because of the regularity of it, and he could almost count on it. It was so consistent. He became to think that that was the only way to express love. But deep down, he knew that was a twisted belief and he wanted to create a better life for himself, which is why he created a paradigm shift that works. In his book, you will find that Paul moved from a childhood boot camp of abuse to being a person who loves everyone and can find good about anyone in any circumstances. And this is truly the role of love. He shares his story in this episode, how he learned how to love, forgive, and continue to write to his parents on a weekly basis for over 32 years. This helped him to shift past the anger that he was holding on to and also recognizing that we want to act from this space and energy with no expectations on how someone else will change, behave, or show up. I know that sounds easier said than done, but we talk a lot about that in this episode of how to heal how to choose to respond differently to your circumstances, the role of love, how it comes from internal, not external outside of us, and how is creation, the role of love, how it is being used in some schools, how it's encouraging people to focus on gratitude, love, and searching for the goodness in others. This is such a beautiful episode, and I love how Paul shares his story with us. Welcome to the show today, Paul. I am thrilled to have you here. Thank you, Marcia. Such a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, a couple of things that I want to really dive into with you and your story. And there's something that's just really powerful about, like, I look at the name of your company. And so it's called The Role of Love. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And what does that mean to you? I, I spelled it R-O-L-E for definitely a reason that it just, it was a change inside that love actually changed me inside. So I think love has a lot of roles in that in that regard. And there's a lot of ways you can express love, but it has to be genuine. So authenticity would be one of those roles of love. And then the other one of the other roles of love is observation, that you're watching the body language. You're watching when people light up, that's really what you're watching for. When they light up, that means that you've identified possibly what their primary love language is, or as even a secondary love language, no longer do you have to say 
excuse me, could we pause this relationship for a minute so I can have you take this survey so I know how to love you? And it, that's awkward. We don't have to do awkward anymore, Marsha. And it, it's just, it just makes it a whole lot better. So the role of love, you know, it actually couples with, it's kind of a play on words. I actually have a dive or a cube, I like to call it, that you roll to determine what love language you practice that day. And with that, with that cube, here's a, here's a cube right here. Okay. So with that, with that cube, I've got the love languages on the cube for so for every love language, um, all five love languages, they'll come up and you'll you'll that'll be what you practice giving away all day that day, all day to everybody. Oh wow. Okay. So can for people who are listening and don't know, is this a version of like the five love languages that you see the book of? Is this what you refer to, or what are the love languages that you're you have outlined? For the work that you're doing? That's a great question, Marsha. And what I'm using is the principles of the love languages. And you know, when I talk to an international or an intellectual property attorney or copyright attorney, he said that that theory, like the love language theory, is mm-hmm. not copyrightable. Application is. So this is really a different application of that theory of the love languages. So yes, it is the same love languages, the same time, touch, service, words, and the gifts. It's all five of those love languages. I On the cube, I actually created a, a sixth side. The sixth side is a hand that holds a question mark, and it's, that one's for surprise me. So on that day, you're just doing random acts of kindness. So the whole idea is that you're focused on what's right about that person. What mm-hmm. can I love about that person? And that's it. Just you're so busy doing that, you forget to be annoyed. Uh, what's wrong with that person? And you just forget. Oh, I don't need to be annoyed because I'm focused on over here, and I'm so busy loving that I have no time to be annoyed. Oh, I'm I'm laughing because I just there's just so much with this. So with this concept, and we're going to dive more into the story, but I just think that it's fascinating. And we're in this space now. Um, for a lot of people, they've read the five love languages. They've done the quiz. This actually came up, honestly, in my big family Christmas this past year. My niece had read it and her and her husband had gone through it. I've gone through it. My husband's gone through it. And then there's a couple people in the room who had no idea what we're talking about. And they're like, well, that's ridiculous. And it's like, actually, it's not. When you really start to learn how we have different um, ways that we give and receive love. But what I do like about what you're saying, and tell me if I am interpreting this properly, is like you can have fun with it and you can learn to give from all five, all five ways, as opposed to saying, this is my way, and that's the only way that I receive and give love. Marsha, that's a great question. That's exactly the 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 whole purpose of this is that I came from a, a childhood of abuse. So I really didn't know any of the love languages except physical touch. If I wasn't being whacked, I wasn't being loved. And so it was really that kind of situation that I grew up from. And I, you know, as far as blaming other people, if you can blame someone, you don't have to do it. You have to do it. Don't have to change. You don't have to do anything about it because it's their problem. You should talk to them about that problem that they have of of what I'm doing. That's why I'm doing it because it's their problem. And, you know, when you get in that victim mentality and that blame game, 
you don't you, there's no movement you can't progress anywhere because if you're still blaming them you're not taking any responsibility it took me till about age 35 to have that mind shift that oh i guess i'm responsible for my my stuff i'm responsible for decisions i make because i had been blaming my father for all the awkwardness in social situations, all awkwardness in my own personal situation, family situations. And it, it was his fault. And because it's his fault, I didn't have to do a thing about it. It would just keep going on. When I realized that that he'd been dead already seven years, and I was still blaming him for, for that, I realized, well, I got to stop blaming him. I've got to start taking responsibility. But being from my negative background, I actually took the negative approach, like anyone from an angry background would. And I said, I don't want to be angry. And it's really a double negative statement. Double negatives multiplied together in math make a positive. It doesn't work in relationships. And so it wasn't working for me either. So I had to refine my thought process, the whole thought process of that angry culture. The angry culture has its own vocabulary, has its own humor, it has all the put-downs. It has talking over people. It has all of these attributes. It's a culture. It's really kind of a cult, so to speak, of its own. Angry people just do angry things. And it's just, a. it is what it is. I had three choices. Once I realized where I was at, three choices. I could keep blaming, but I didn't want to do that. I could get more angry. I didn't want to do that. Or I could go to the other end of the spectrum and learn the languages of love. And as I'm learning the languages of love, it's foreign to me. It's absolutely foreign. It's like I'm learning Chinese, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I know Japanese, but I don't know Chinese. But And Japanese was really hard to learn. And But what helped me with that was, what helped me learn Japanese was just memory hooks. And what I found is that with, with the die that I created, each one is a picture. And if you think of a picture, Pictures kind of burn into the mind, and it makes a memory hook for you. This one would would be of service. I'm holding, or there's a, a man holding a platter, and that represents service on this, this side of the cube. Two hands together forming a heart with a little conversation bubble uh, means the words of the heart. So th- that would be for words. This hourglass on the hand represents the time. A gift on the hand represents gifts. And then two hands touching represents touch. There's a sixth side, the one with the question mark on it. That's to surprise me. Just two instructions, roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice, giving away. You give it away without any expectation of it ever coming back. But Marsha, you're trusting the, the laws of the universe, the law of the harvest, the law of karma, the law of attraction, all those laws kind of say the same thing, that whatever you send out is coming right back to you. Well, think of that as it relates to anger. You send anger out, it's it's like a boomerang, more, more like a boomerang than anything else, because you send the boomerang up, when it comes back down, gravity's helping it come a lot faster, a lot more extreme. You don't want to catch it with your hand. You don't want to catch it with your neck. You don't want to catch it. It's just, it's coming back really, really hard at you. You send anger out, it's coming back 10 times worse or more right back at you. Who wants that? Why would you choose to do that? 
And why would you choose to criticize someone? You know, I like to compare it to a magnifying glass that whatever we focus on is going to grow larger. Why would you want the faults of another person or the weaknesses of another person to get bigger? Mm-hmm. You want them to shrink. Therefore, you need to focus on what's right about that person. And it really was transitional for me from what's wrong with that person to what's right about that person. Mm, I I think there's so many pieces of what you're saying that are relatable to like everyday world right now. That would be very transformational if a lot of people could even take in a fraction of the concepts that you're talking about and how important they are. Because um, a couple of things I wrote down when it comes to like our mind and our subconscious mind and how it works, it doesn't process negatives. It doesn't understand time. And, you know, our thoughts are focusing on what we're saying. So like, I mean, what the, which direction we're going in. So the magnifying glass is always interesting to me too, because when you take that magnifying glass and you look at something on a piece of paper, just like you're picking apart somebody else, then what happens is, is you do amplify it because it's like now it's bigger and it also distorts it. And so it's like, it takes the letter A and all of a sudden it's like, you think it's an A, but like it might distort it because it's so big you're making it. So I think sometimes then we can get stuck in stories that are not accurate and not real. They're also always coming from our own lens, right? Everybody's walking around with their own lens, their own experiences, everything that they've learned and, and walked through. The other thing I think that is really powerful is this piece. And I talk about it a lot here is this place that you know, we talk about sharing stories and being vulnerable and being open here. And I get people who reach out regularly and saying, you know, I want to write a book. I want to share my story. I want to put it out there. I usually ask them one or two questions about where they are in their story. There's zero judgment, but it's an observation. And I always say, when you have that much anger, this is not the time to share it. It's not the time. It's time to work on you because if you go out there and you share from the anger space, you know what you're going to attract back? A whole bunch of angry people who are like, oh my gosh, here we go. And now all of a sudden you've just created this fire when you're looking for a way to release it. So I love everything that you're saying because I think there's a lot of power in learning how to change the lens and be able to look at it differently and see people in a different light. The last thing I was going to say I love when you said surprise, this whole surprise me piece there. There's something that's landing for me that I think I love so much is the fact that Surprise me is also a fun way to grow as a person to share in a different way and as a person to learn how to receive in a different way, right? So we are learning how to give and receive love in very different ways because we are different humans and how we see things and what's important to us is different, right? And that's like, I I think this whole thing, I know when I did the love languages the first time, gifts wasn't one of mine. It was not one of mine. and when I had this conversation with a family member, they look at it and say, but you don't appreciate things because you don't appreciate the gifts. And I was like, but time is a factor for me. I'd rather have more time than gifts. So I think, have you found from doing this work, you've learned more about yourself and others as well? Absolutely, Marsha. That's a great question. And and really, it's I've learned a, a lot about what was uncomfortable for me by rolling the die just 30 days, I went through all five love languages. I've rolled it. I've actually had the, the die since and copyrighted since 2017. So I've rolled it all that time every single day. And every single day, it's it's just a little bit different. I love the variety. 
I think variety is really kind of the spice of life. So what how am I going to love today? And it's really kind of a fun thing to do, to do that. But by sending it out over a 30-day period, you actually learn all five love languages backwards and forwards. You're sending it out without any expectation, trusting that universe that's going to, going to come back some way. What you're watching for, you're using your observation skills. What you're watching for is when people light up. You've identified their love language, and you just make a mental note for that person that that's what they like, and then you can wash, rinse, repeat for that person. But you're watching all day long for people light up. You're making their day. When they light up, that's a happy moment for them, and they share those happy moments with their circles of influence, making them also happy. Everybody gets to rejoice together, so to speak. And it's just really one of those kind of things that you don't want to send misery out there for them to spread misery around too. You don't want that ever to happen. So this is a better way to do it. You become, after that 30-day period, what I like to call a love language linguist, just because you know them backwards and forwards. It's a sexy title. Marsha, I know you want it. I know everybody out there wants that title, and you want to put it on your resume. And when you put it on your resume, you're going to go to that employer, and the employer is going to say, what the heck is a love language linguist? And you're going to say, I just love people. That employer wants their customers love, and they want a loving environment rather than a hostile environment. They want a loving environment within the workplace. My guess is that your resume will rise to the top just because you're a love language linguist. The second thing that happens is that it really improves your communication skills and your your peripheral vision. You can see that love coming your way and respond appropriately. Most people have this myoptic approach that they only see what they like. And they have this, this, I think it's a, I think it's really kind of a mythical idea that that if they send out what they like, that it's going to come back. It's really, that's a crapshoot that really doesn't work very well at all. And that's a transaction. If you're expecting it to come back, that's a transaction. It's not love. It's not, and we're not on make, let's make a deal. It's not that, that reality TV show. It's not. This is sending love out without any expectation. So we're not sending out typically what we like unless we roll what we like on that day. We're just getting familiar with all the love languages. I know in my life, Marsha, that I've missed a lot of opportunities. People were loving on me. I didn't see it. This gives you that peripheral vision, those eyes to see, and then you'll be able to understand. It just will create peace and understanding, you know, with all the people that you're surrounded with. We're just doing it one by one, family by family. That's so incredibly powerful. And I would love to know, like, how does somebody go from, I mean, it's one thing to go through childhood trauma and abuse. And we know that shapes us. Like we know that that, that shapes us in, in a lot of different ways. But how does somebody go from that to now, like this is your entire life business platform of what you do. And, and I love it. Like I absolutely love it because I do think that in our, I, I like to say in our shame stories, our difficult times, our experiences, the things that we hide from the world actually do hold our superpowers, our strengths, our like our most valuable way to connect with people because that's how we can connect as humans. I just want to share from your story, like how do you go from what you went through to now, like embracing it from a completely different level? It's like almost you learned so many strengths 
during that time. And now you're amplifying it and creating this to support more people. Great question, Marcia. And uh, let me answer it like this. I I began to realize what it was that was starting this anger stacking, that, that it was annoyance upon annoyance upon annoyance upon annoyance until I had a little flash and maybe a little flash and maybe a big flash. But I thought I was very patiently doing that because it would take a lot of annoyances to, for me to get to the top. I was a patient, angry person, if there is such a thing out there, rather than just being annoyed once and then angry right out right out the gate. I was just stacking it. But it really was a, a it really was annoying me that I even had that rhythm or that pattern in my life. And I wanted to figure out what is it that, that is annoying me. And I realized that there was other people, most of the time other people. One time at Marsha, I was so annoyed with myself. I didn't talk to myself for three days, but it's mostly other people. So yes. it's just when when I I'm annoyed with someone else. It's really me trying to get into their their shoes and walk their walk and walk and be making choices in their life. It's none of my business. When I realized it's absolutely none of my business, I got to stay in my lane, do what I can do. And then I, I realized that I don't have to make a choice for them. I don't have to be annoyed about their choices. All I have to do is do what I can do. And then if they ask for advice, I can give advice. And if I want to give advice, I need to ask permission for that. And when I realized that boundary and that I needed to make sure that boundary is absolutely clear, then I, I was able to stop being annoyed. In addition to that, I had this alternative uh, behavior pattern that I was practicing that helped supplant all the anger and all the annoyances. I was doing something else other than being annoyed. Everybody needs something else to do, a different behavior that is a behavior that you want to make a behavior that you don't want go away. You have to have that replacement behavior. You can't just, like I said in the very beginning, you can't say, I don't want to do that. It doesn't work. You have to say, I, this is what I am going to do. And that's the sending out the love. And that's that was the transition for me. That was the huge transition. And people doing that also have to have the desire. People wanting to make the change. If you don't want to make the change, or if you're forced into it by intervention by a family member, so it's, it's most likely not going to stay. You have to want to make the change. People that want to make the change, we can help them. I love that. Like one of the other questions that I hear a lot of, and I was that person for a while, was like, how do I make others change? How do I make them see it? How do I get them to do it this way? And a lot of times I'll just say, okay, but where, how are you leading yourself? Like, how are you lead? Like, don't worry about what anyone else is doing right now. How do you lead yourself in this space? Because we can't, we're not here to change others, right? So how, from your perspective, do you hold a lot of anger or resentment to the upbringing that you had? And if not, how did you release that? Or let, I like release better than let go, but how did you release that? Marsha, that's a really, really good question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. I, I'm just going to say it with one word, gratitude. Find those gratitude moments. Of, of, there's There's got to be something that you loved about that person that you that really hurt you or something that you loved about that person that maybe maybe was just unkind in some way. One thing that I found about my father is that he dated my mother every single night, every single Friday night. 
every single. I don't ever know him ever missing. I can't keep up that pace myself. I, I, I'm I'm wondering, thinking in my mind, what the hell did how did he do that? How did he make it just possible for that? And I realized that he really valued women. I'm number ten of eleven children, and I'm I'm the thorn between two roses. All the rest are boys. So I'm an older sister, younger sister, and if I even look cross-eyed at those girls, he was he was on me, and it was just it was just he valued women so greatly. So he valued women, and he took my mother out every every Friday, and then I have a, a few other, just very few, but just a few other incidents in my life, how I remember my father in a good light, and I'm grateful for those things. The second thing that that um, really worked for me is that when I was 19, actually, I went over to Japan for a couple of years. And while I'm in Japan, I decided I'm going to write my parents once a week. And I did it for that full two years that I was gone, once a week. I thought, you know, I'm a Christian, Marsha, and I wanted to keep the commandments, that fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother is what I wanted to do. And it and in doing that, in writing a letter, expressing my feelings, I hardly ever got a letter back. Occasionally, I get a letter back, but this was in the snail mail day. This was just, you had to write it on a piece of paper, unfortunately. No typewriters. It was on an aerogram, on a piece of paper, handwritten, and you send it through the mail. Amazing. It was <laughs> where technology has really come. But I did that for two years. At the end of that two years, I thought, you know, should I keep doing this or should I stop? And I thought, this is kind of a good habit. Why would I give up a good habit? So actually, I did it for 32 years until both my parents were gone. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is not something I think I've, I don't know. I, I, I love that story. That caught me off guard. And I, and I love it because I think you just gave a perfect example of doing something for the right intention that felt good to you with no expectations attached to it. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so they both are gone now, but mm-hmm. I have I have the letters I wrote. I have the few letters that I that I received back. It's over fifteen hundred letters. Wow, that's incredible. You it's must a- become a different person through that process. Like you had to really like if you look back to the the person who wrote that first letter at nineteen to 32 years later like you could you see that evolution of how much you've grown and changed there there's a lot of things that changed i graduated from high school typing at a blistering speed of 17 words per minute i by writing these letters eventually over the years i began to type and and um, and it was at the suggestion of my mother that i typed the letters because she just absolutely could not read my writing after a certain period of time and and she she liked the type letters a whole lot better than than the handwritten letters after a while, and so that was one thing. But in, of course, absolutely the the relationship was a whole lot better. Just that contact, that constant contact with my parents, and just the gratitude of them raising me, regardless of the circumstances. I know circumstances are really hard, but I look back at my father's circumstances. He was were a whole lot worse. And I think he really did the best that he could do. He graduated from eighth grade and uh, had to at that, at that particular time. Maybe he had to support the family. I'm not sure about that. But 
it, his father had passed away when he was 10 years old. And so, um, and he was number six of 10 children, but there were another nine children that his father had in Indiana that he left in Indiana before he went to Montana. So there were 19 abandoned children. And there was 1932 when my grandfather passed away. In the middle of the Great Depression all around the world, there's economic problems, there's abandonment issues, and that's just a hard life. And so from that hard life, he tried to make things better. And I think for for the most part, he made things better. And with with except with the exception of of the, just the anger, could not get rid of the anger. Probably couldn't figure out what what is the source of the anger and why am I getting angry, and did not have that drill down effect that I was able to to find out for myself. Once I found out what the source was, it was a whole lot easier to find an alternate behavior to to do something else, make it make just make a difference. Yeah, that's um. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I think of, you know, my parents, my grandparents, and there's just years and decades and decades of culture that was, you know, we don't talk about our feelings. We just you suck it up, you do it. You don't question anything. You don't disrespect anyone. You don't like you. Your voice doesn't matter because an elder is like in charge. And it's it might sound really crazy to a lot of people, but I said like that's what it was like. It was very much that way. And that also meant that they weren't being heard. They didn't know how to value their own voice, their own message. They didn't know how to ask questions or ask for what they wanted. And I think there's a lot of power in, power is not the right word, um, empowerment and being able to see things from someone else's point of view. Like being able to, there's empathy, but I feel like this space of like being able to see something from someone else's point of view, you don't have to understand it all, but just understand that they, they did walk through some really difficult times and that was what they knew. There was not a lot of like, now there's so much content and things available about, you know, bettering yourself and improving communication and doing these things. That was, that wasn't even the language then. No, no, it wasn't. In fact, you know, you were talking about that age. I, the common phrase around our family was children are to be seen, not heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was very normal. I was told I talked too much. I was too bossy and you should just, kids are not meant to be hurt. And I'm like, what? I did I didn't understand it, but it was very much that was the message I heard constantly. Yeah, yeah. So glad for the age that we're in. Glad for, and just grateful that we lived through it. And here we are to talk about it. You know, I think that there's uh, there. If I've got a picture behind me for your listeners, that is a picture of a sunrise. And as I took a, a job as a, a route driver at one point in my life several years ago. And I get up before dawn and coming home after dark. So I always see the sunrise, I always see the sunset. And it took me about six months to realize that, oh, the very best sunrises and the very best sunsets all have clouds. All have clouds. And so it is with our life that we all will have clouds that we go through in our life that as we get to the other side of the cloud, We'll see the silver lining of the cloud, and we'll see how it makes up the landscape to make a beautiful sunset, hopefully at the end of our life. I'm just a little bit stunned for a second because that I've never heard it said that way, and that landed for me because I love sunrise and sunsets. But if you think about it, 
like there's always clouds. And it's interesting because I wonder why as humans, we have this feeling or belief sometimes that we're not supposed to have clouds. Like it's, it's so interesting how it's like, why do I have clouds? Why is this so hard? Why is, and it's so interesting because it's like, who told us that there wouldn't be a challenge? Like who told us that there wouldn't be difficulties? And I still believe those difficulties and challenges that we walk through have the potential to make us like who we're here to be. Like they shape us into who we're here to be. But I love, first off, I love the picture. And secondly, I love that analogy. That's going to stick with me. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. It was just, it was a powerful analogy, uh, an epiphany for me in, in my, in, in my life at the time. And I realized you know, then after I saw that, there was one one cloud setting. I was must have been feeling down as I'm driving one day. There was a, a cloud with that that looked like an eye, mm-hmm. and then and then then right next to it was was a heart, and then and then the letter U, and it was just it's like the heavens were saying I love you, and it was just I wish I could have taken a picture of it. Nobody believes I saw something like that. <laughs> Really, and it was just the cloud formations that I saw as I'm driving on that on that route that I was on. It was it was amazing. That's just- beautiful. That's beautiful. So as we're talking about all of this today, and I don't you don't have to put it in relation to anything specific that's going on in the world. What would happen in the world if we could learn to adapt, adopt some of these? beliefs and thoughts and, you know, that people are doing the best that they can, that we can add and look at it from a lens of love, that we could be able to see the best in others and, you know, do good things without, you know, with releasing expectations. What do you think would change in the world if we could do that? Because I think it's safe to say, I mean, I'm 50, I'm going to be 54 and I sit here and I think, I feel like I'm not saying it is, but I feel like this is some of the most divisive times we've ever had in um, the world right now. It's very much that you're right, he's wrong, she's right, like very black, white in how things are seen. But the concepts that you're sharing right now, I feel like they could just help so many people and humanity in general if we could find ways to be able to bring some of these into our life. I'm working on that, Marsha, and it's a great question. I'm trying to bring this into the school system, actually. Mm-hmm. So in the school system, what you do is you start the day, you start the class, two seconds it takes to roll the die, you're rolling the die. That's the love language that you're practicing in the classroom all day that day. And so I'm testing it in K through six, kindergarten through sixth grade. And the teacher may take 30 to 40, 45 seconds to explain class, this is the type of behavior we're working on this particular day. And so one minute at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, the the children are are always, I remember, remember this for myself, but I talked with teachers all around the world. They said it's really non-productive time that last 10 to 15 minutes of the day. It's non-productive because the kids have been there all day. They're antsy, they're ready to go home, they know the bell's gonna ring, and their minds are mush. They really have so much information that they've been given all through the day that it's time to let go. I found a solution for that non-productive time that really, really is working very well. These kids will have to write what they rolled that day 
opportunities. They saw the love in that way, what they did about those opportunities. Now they have that responsibility on themselves. No longer is the teacher monitoring their behavior. It's the child monitoring their own behavior because they have to report on it. They have to write about it at the end of the day. What did they do to love that day? And they're focused on love now instead of any other type of behavior. So we're training them with these basics of the five love languages. It, what it becomes for that child is that you know they write on that day, the teacher checks it off, sends it home with the child. Or in a special occasion, if it's a really good story, the teacher might retain it for the next day, read it in front of the class, said, look what Johnny did yesterday. Look what he did with the, the type of love that we were practicing yesterday. And just make it make it a point to make that child shine. By doing that, you know, everybody wants to have that moment of that 15 minutes of fame, so to speak. Everybody wants that moment. And so they'll they'll be practicing. It'll encourage the children to practice it more every single day. The second thing that happens as you send it home, those astute parents will actually keep those in chronological order at the end of the school year. Now you have a journal from that first grader, a love journal. I would have loved to have a love journal for my first grade, or I would have loved to have a love journal from my mother or my grandmother. Instead, I got a journal about the weather, Marsha, the weather. Who cares what the weather was like 60 years ago? This really could change this child's behavior for not only that grade, but for several grades. And you can see what it might affect what they, their attitude for the junior high or the middle school and then into high school and into life. It just builds that foundation. And Marsha, I really want to emphasize that these love languages are foundational. They are basic. Everybody needs to know these basics. Really, they really do. Because these, just like the anger annoyances stair steps to anger, these are stair steps to the higher laws of love, like com compassion, mm -hmm. like charity, like intimacy, like forgiveness, or empathy, or sympathy. Those are higher laws of love. But we need to use these basics as stair steps to get there. We're not going to get forgiveness by insult, 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 insult. Who's going to forgive by doing that? It has to be kindness upon kindness. And that's use these as stair steps now. I love that you're doing that. I love that that's available. I can see this stocking, right? You're stocking habits with kids that are um, very reflective. There's just something that's landing so deeply for me when you're saying this. You are teaching young kids how to be self-reflective. That is a quality that more adults, I'm trying to find the best way to say it, that more adults could learn in just in life in general is being self-reflective, right? Spending so much time and energy waiting for back in blame, waiting for everyone else's behavior to change, but then also recognizing like, wait, I'm, I haven't changed at all. So like we have to actually do take time to be self-reflective and you're teaching that with kids at a young age. And I think that they are so much more sponge-like than what we think. And I really believe that there's a lot more practical life things that they could be learning, I'm not complaining about a school system, I'm saying in general, that they could be learning that are life skills. And I see these as like beautiful life skills that can support them in so many different ways. And it'd be really interesting to see study-wise 
you know, with kids who do this, what happens when they get to like the grade seven, eight and older, is there less bullying? Is there less, like, I would be love to see that if that, the impact that could have on kids as they get older. Absolutely, Marcia. And I forgot to mention that journaling at the end of the day for these kids would is really kind of a decompression type of activity. Mm-hmm. They're they're anxious. I mean, they they've just got all this hype energy. Take a little bit of that energy and and reflect, as you said, on that day. Decompress before you're sent back home, because mm-hmm. nobody. I don't know any parents that wanted a wound up kid when they come home from school. I mean, and they they seem like endless energy and are off the walls. It's easier to have them decompress and then come home and then be reflective to those parents. Another alternative is that in a family situation, you roll the die in the morning as a family and report at dinner table. What did you do that day? What what how how did you make the world a better place today? I love that. So where can they find your kid? Because I've already thinking of a Christmas present for somebody as I'm listening to this. Like where can people find um, your program? What's involved? What's it look like? And how do they get it? I've got the book, Mm -hmm. the the journal, and the cube as a bundle right now on my website. It's about 20% off for your listeners. And it's at rolloflove.com, R-O-L-E of love.com. Again, the play on words. R-O-L-L of the die is, or the cube is outside of you. R-O-L-E will change you inside. So rolloflove.com, you can get the bundle there for $29.99. It's a whole lot less than even just one therapy session. And one therapy session, you'll go there, be there an hour, and then schedule for a week or two or three weeks in the future. What are you doing in between? This is that in-between behavioral thing that you can do that's going to keep you on track to change the attitudes that you need to change. When I, I created this, when I was single, Marsha, I didn't have any significant other. As Dr. Chapman suggested, I did not have a significant other to practice this with. So I said, who in the heck am I going to love? I end up loving everybody. But it really was a blessing for me in that way because I needed that character change. I needed that full-time effort of loving everyone rather than just part-time. I don't know anybody that's with their significant other full-time, 24-7. Some people don't want to be with their significant others, <laughs> but that's a different story. <laughs> story. That's another story. But that just makes us, I just think it makes us better humans in general. And like it increases and steps up like the value of our relationships with others and you know how we are feeling and experiencing as humans. I just, I think there's something really powerful and unique about what you're doing, all the work that you're doing, what you're saying. And I think it only amplifies what is available for us with the relationships that we are building out in life. What like in the, not just significant other, I'm thinking even friendships and I'm thinking even, you know, with children. So I, I love that. As you started to, you know, really learn how to release that um, anger and shift that, what was the gap or time between doing that work on yourself and then creating a tool that you are now speaking and sharing about and sharing with the world? Was it an automatic transformation or like, or how did that work? How did that transition time work for you? Marsha, that's a great question. The tool was absolutely essential for me. 
just just I and I created created actually prototypes of the tool. I don't show these very often, but I've created this is the really clunky yeah. prototype that I had. That it's like like a two and a half inch, you know, cube, two and a half half inch, uh, you know, square cube, and then it's just um, I I laser laser engraved some icons on there that were the different one. But I found that the sharp edges of the cube would it would be like a weighted die. That if I wanted physical touch that day, I could just figure out well. Now I'm starting here. If I roll here, it's going to show up physical touch, and it was it was really skewed. So it didn't work real well. So mm-hmm. I had to had to sand off the edges and make it like it they would roll a little bit better, and then it started working. But I really needed that tool because the the you could you could put write on a piece of paper and put all the love languages in a hat and draw it out of the hat. You could do it that way, but I needed the picture. I needed that icon to burn in my mind to be that memory hook for me. I needed that to remind me all throughout the day, what did I roll this morning? And then I can get the picture in my mind, what I rolled this uh, that morning, and then practice that all day long if I ever forgot. The other thing I did was I kept, kept a, a cube in my pocket. If I had forgotten to roll in the morning, I kept that cube in my pocket and I just roll wherever I was and then start practicing from that time forward. And it's just just being mindful of doing it every day, getting in the habit, take two seconds. Who doesn't want to make a two-second investment and have huge returns? This is that type of investment. You make that investment, you're going to get an incredible return on your investment. So I wanted to make that investment and realize the power of that investment. So I kept doing it and I, I, I still do it today, every day. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, the piece too, I just want to share that I love that you said is like our subconscious mind. I do a lot with subconscious mind work and healing and it it needs pictures. It's not words. Like words are only 7% of our communication, literally. So we can spend a lot of time on the words that we're using, but they're only 7% of our communication. In order to improve, one of the best ways that we do remember and we create change is through pictures. And so I love that your die has has pictures on it. Like that is something that's going to anchor in your body and you will remember. So I think there's just something, I just personally, I love it. I love the concept and it's incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable. So to answer your question, the, the transformation after I had the cube was really almost immediate because it was just when I realized that people, the faults of people and the weaknesses of people, maybe 10 or 20% of their whole personality, all the rest is really good. Mm-hmm. And I was focusing on the minority of a personality. Mm-hmm. When I focused on majority, there's not only this good thing about that person, but there's this good thing and this good thing and this good thing and this good thing. I was much busier watching for those good things and then trying to express that to that person when they did, hardly ever saw it themselves. Mm-hmm. And when we identify traits, positive traits about another person that they've never seen, that makes their day. That's mm-hmm. what we're all about now. Let's make their day. Yeah, I uh, love it. It's not about me. 
No, it's not. No, it's not. And I mean, again, I think how much of a difference this could make in the world, I think is, would be incredible. I really do. I think it would make such a big difference. So I will make sure everything is in the show notes, how people can connect with you, be able to look at the bundle and I'll make sure that the, you know, the, I know you have a promo code there as well. I think there's, yep, there's a bundle as well. So I'll make sure it's all in there. Um, I love this conversation. I thank you so much for sharing your story with us and everything that you've done and that you're doing and how you're putting more light into the world. Even though you did walk through a lot of darkness, I think it's beautiful that you're the work that you're doing. So I thank you for that. And I have one more question for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? That is a great question. Um, I think that just as it relates here, the lesson in life is is to be grateful and to be, and it's a perfect lesson at this time of the year, especially that that you be grateful and watch for things you can be grateful about in your life. That's going to develop those positive feelings within you about that person or about those things or about that circumstance. And as you're grateful each day for the things that are given to you for that particular day, that really makes makes a huge change in your outlook for the next day to watch for those things that you're grateful about. I think just the word gratitude is really uh, probably the biggest thing that has changed my life. I learned as in the letter writing that I did, I was learning to be grateful to my parents. I needed that. And it changed changed my life. It changed their life as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I I want to second that. I love what you're saying. The piece on gratitude. Sometimes you do have to look for it. Like sometimes you active actively have to look for it. Maybe you're having a really rough day. I think the quote is is like the days that you don't feel that you have anything to be grateful for are the exact days that you have to take the time to find something. For gratitude, because sometimes you have to look for it. And then when you do practice and train yourself to look for it, you'll find it more easily. Absolutely. I'm totally agreement there. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here, Paul. I love this conversation. Thank you, Marsha. It's been a delight to be with you as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.